back here. So we'll be in Exodus chapter 7 to start off. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and minds upon those words be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You are a rock, are crucified, risen, reigning, and coming again, redeemer. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. So before we leave the ten plagues and Egypt and Pharaoh behind, there's a character study that we really need to dig into. You might think we uh, would do an up-close study of Moses, maybe, or Aaron, or Miriam, and any of those folks would be an excellent, um, legitimate person to study. But we've kind of been dancing around the elephant in the room here the last few Sundays, basically poking him once in a while, and then running to the other side of the room. The elephant is Pharaoh, or more specifically, Pharaoh's heart. Moses wouldn't mention Pharaoh's heart condition over and over and over again. Pretty much every single plague, Moses gives an update on Pharaoh's heart. So Moses wouldn't do that over and over and over again, unless Moses, and obviously God, through Moses, wanted us to pay serious attention to Pharaoh's heart and learn something from it for ourselves. It's time for some spiritual CPR. So go with me, Exodus chapter seven, verse eight. Now this is actually before the first plague even kicks into gear. Chapter seven, verse eight. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. So you got all these snakes on the floor. We don't know how many um, Egyptian magicians there were. It's plural is all we know. But Moses' snake eats up all of theirs. That'd be pretty dramatic, amen? <laughs> Verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was what? Hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So from the very beginning, even before the plagues start, we see that Pharaoh's got a heart that is already hardened towards the Lord, towards his word. Now I just want to start off with, uh, when we ponder this, what makes for our hearts hardening against God or against another person? Pride is probably Pharaoh's biggest issue. Pride can make us harden our hearts towards others. I don't care so much about you as long as I'm winning out, as long as I'm rising above, as long as I'm perceived as better than you. So pride can be a huge issue. Anger, um, which can evolve or devolve into hatred. Anger is a really big issue for hardness of heart. And then those are, this is kind of mixed in with both of those, I suppose, but, but selfishness. If all we really care about is ourselves, then we're going to have a hard heart towards people in general. Okay? So the word of the Lord that, that Dave was sharing a little bit ago, when, when Jesus is telling us to love our enemies and love those who persecute us and pray for them and stuff, that's the exact opposite of a hard heart. That's a heart that's soft and yielded and cares about other people, even cares about our enemies. So it's a wonderful description of really what takes a supernatural help from God to accomplish. Amen. Amen. 
So, so Pharaoh already has a hard heart. He's got pride cooking. He's going to have some anger near down the line. Selfishness, I think, is also a big issue for him. Let's see what happens now. Chapter 7, verse 20. We're into the first plague. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. They say, ew. Ew. Most of the plagues, we have that response, but this one is right up there. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now listen to this. Pharaoh turned, went into his house, and did not take even this to heart. I love that phrase. It's the only time it's used wow. here in the ten plagues. But but here's an issue. So we're all we're all applying our own hearts to this learning lesson today. That they that's the purpose for it, amen. So what are we, what's God saying here? God's saying, I did the first, I did the, the snake, the serpent thing for you. I've done the first plague. God's made it really clear already to Pharaoh that he needs to soften his heart and yield to the Lord. What does God say here? When I show you my truth and who I am, God says to you and I, you need to take this to heart. What's that mean? Take a hold of the obvious truth. Take a hold of my place before God and bring that into my, my thought life, my understanding. I'm pondering it, and then I act on it in humble confession repentance if I need that, in humble thankfulness and gratefulness for his love and grace. But whatever God shows me, whatever I'm in devotions, whatever truth he shows me, God asks me, wants me, needs me to take it to heart and process it. Does what does Pharaoh do with this? He did not take even this to heart. We could see that phrase over and over throughout the whole ten plagues. It's only this time, interesting. But he didn't take it to heart. Go to chapter eight, verse twelve. When the second plague here with the frogs, chapter eight, verse twelve. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Lots of stinking going on here. <laughs> but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, we don't use that word an awful lot. We do it with respite care. When, when somebody is caring, usually for a loved one, a family member, uh, 24-7, they're in a, a physical situation where they need that. The caregiver needs what? Respite, needs a break, needs rest and refreshment for themselves to be able to continue going on. So we're familiar with respite in that regard. So what happens here is the, fro the frogs go through the land and it's really a burden on the people. And when God brings the takes the frogs out of the land, they all die and then they go back into the Nile. Um, there was respite, there was relief. It's going to be okay now. What does Pharaoh do? When Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, that the pressure of the frog plague backed off, he did what? He hardened his heart. Now, any influence from God here? He's doing this on his own. Who's in charge of your heart? 
God's sovereign over it, but he gives you freedom what? Choose. Gives you freedom to do what you will with your heart. In this case, the pressure backed off. Pharaoh went back to his pride, selfishness, and he hardened his heart himself. Go to chapter 8, verse 28. We're not going to do every single play, but there's each one of these is unique and develops the, the theme here. So chapter 8, verse 28. This is the flies. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness because everybody knows flies are just nasty, right? And when you get clouds and clouds of them, this is an issue. He says, I'll let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Interesting, is there a softness of heart indicated there? Maybe. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one fly remained. I say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right? Um, we did some outdoor work yesterday. Some of the flying, the lovely insects are already out there to us. Not one fly remained. Verse 32. But Pharaoh, say it with me, hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. So again, Pharaoh doing it all on his own, hardening his own heart. One more. Chapter 9, verse 7. This is a play to the livestock guy. Verse 7. Pharaoh sent, and behold, he sent a messenger to check out to see if the cattle were dying in Goshen. So Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and did not let the people go. So I don't know if you're counting or not, but we have five times in a row that the Bible makes it clear. First five times, all are Pharaoh hardening his own heart. So God is doing a bunch of things with the plagues. We've talked about that in detail. One of the things he's trying to do is reach Pharaoh's heart. Oh, for five so far. And when you, you and I know, probably know, what it's like with our hearts. When I, when, I take, when I do the first hardening, knowing God's way and doing it my own way, when I do it a second time, a third time, what is happening? The hardening is going deeper more thoroughly and further deeper into my heart i'm getting further away from a right relationship with god that's what we're seeing here five times now chapter 9 verse 11 we have a new development chapter 9 verse 11 this is the boils plague the magicians could not stand before moses because of the boils when the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the egyptians Verse 12, say it with me. But, but the, the Lord hardened, hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So the first five times Pharaoh did it himself. On the sixth occasion, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We've referenced it briefly a couple of times. Let me go deeper today. Why would God harden someone's heart? What is the Lord up to here in this situation? We're going to go to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 1, for insight into why, what God is up to here, and why he's hardening Pharaoh's heart. Romans chapter 1. Now, this
this is somewhat sensitive territory in our culture in America today. So I invite you to listen carefully and do your best to stay awake. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And that's really what we're looking at in the ten plagues, okay? God is judging Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, so it's a similar situation here. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, say it with me, suppresses the truth. truth. So what invites the wrath of God? The suppression of the truth. The pushing down, the um, covering over, the ignoring. Anytime we as human beings and or as a nation push against and suppress the truth of God, we are inviting the wrath of God. We can spend some time now. How many different areas of, of life are we suppressing the truth of God in this nation? The list is exploding. We're, we're asking for it. Verse, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Really? God has shown himself to the whole world, to every human being, regardless of whether they have the gospel or not? Yes, he has. Verse 20. For God's invisible attributes. What kind of attributes? Invisible. If they're invisible, how can we know them? Namely, God's eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the, say it with me, the creation of the world. Where has God left evidence of himself and his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature? Where has God left those, um, the evidence for that? Look out the windows. It's in creation. In the things that have been made. So, I put in my margin, not accidental. That's what scientists who are so smart, and evolution has, has been saying for decades, and more and more Americans, and even, even churches and pastors are pushing evolution now. It's a travesty. It's inviting God's wrath, because that's suppressing the truth. The truth is, God made it. And he made it by his declared word. Let there be. That's the truth. And the science and the evidence backs it up. He says, so Paul says, so they are without excuse. Now, Pharaoh himself, let's go back to Exodus for a second, just in our, our, our thinking. Pharaoh himself was supposed to be the flesh and blood son of the sun god. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look in the mirror and realize that that's not the case. He was born from his mother like every other human being. Uh, did the sun rise because Pharaoh told it to? No. Did the sun set because Pharaoh told it to? No. So the evidence that Pharaoh is not God was clear to them before Yahweh ever showed up with the Israelites and made it plain. It was already plain. Amen? Amen. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish what? Hearts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. So when we choose to suppress the truth about God, it brings a darkening, a hardening to our hearts towards him. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, man, we, hear, we do hear this all the time, follow the science, follow the science, please, 
Let's follow the truth in the science. You follow science, you're following scientists. Be careful which scientist you follow. Claiming to be wise, they became what? Fools. Fools. Most of the scientists who are pushing agendas today are evolutionary based and anti-God. They are fools in their foundational thinking. Be really careful whose science you are following. Claiming to be wise, they became Oops. fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I think today we need to add scientists to this list. There are people who are worshiping science as some kind of amazing guiding light in life. And some are worshiping specific scientists. Might as well put a statue of them on the mantelpiece. It's happening. 24. Therefore, you say, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Therefore, because, because people are suppressing the truth and falling into foolishness and letting their hearts be darkened and hardened, God's going to respond. Verse 24. Therefore, say with me, God gave them up. That's a chilling phrase. When God backs up, backs off, and lets us go in foolish paths, it's for our own good. Because God wants us to go to the bottom of the barrel, hit bottom, roll over and say, how did I get in this foolish, stupid place? I really need the one true God. This is a love act from God. But it's a scary thing. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their what? Hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshiped and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Now, Paul's going to give us an example of this. And he's going to use homosexuality as an example. It's not the only arena where this shows itself, but it's one powerful, big one. And we know what it's done to our nation today. So verse 26, he says, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So when we suppress the truth about God's design for male and female, it ends up going this direction because God backs off and says, I'm going to let you choose your foolishness and your hardness of heart and take it all the way to the wall because that's the only way you have an opportunity to change your hearts and come back. Now, we have suppressed the truth about sexuality in man, male and female so effectively in this country that now we've moved on to transgender issues. And I don't know where it's going from there. I don't want to think about that. We're suppressing the truth, and we're asking for wrath. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. There it is again. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. What they're allowing in some states to be done to children with transgender stuff, transformationally, that's debased. In 10, 20 years, if the Lord still hasn't come back yet, we're going to see a lot of adults who are going to feel betrayed and destroyed by what people did to their bodies when they were children. 
I'm so thankful that some states are stepping up and, and making laws that you cannot physically alter children. I would that the whole nation would go that way. Verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. This is what heart, this is a description of hardness of heart people right here. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And he's, he's talking about people who've, who've suppressed the truth and turned their backs on God. He's not only describing homosexuals, okay? This is a description of everybody who has suppressed the truth and rejected God's truth. So 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, I'm thinking of Pharaoh now, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, say it with me, heartless. So when a heart has gotten completely hard as a stone, another way to describe it is, is lacking a heart. There's no compassion. There's no love. There's no grace there. That person is, in fact, heartless. And the last one, I think of Pharaoh, especially in how he treated Israel's baby boys. The very last descriptive word for somebody who suppresses the truth is what? Ruthless. We're seeing that in policies and Planned Parenthood and in all different areas. We're seeing ruthlessness. Verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's a God-ordained New Testament description of a condition of the hardness of heart. How did it happen? By suppressing the truth of God's word. Suppressing his design. Come back to Pharaoh now. Exodus chapter 9, verse 34. The seventh plague, the plague of hail. Verse 34, but when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he saith me, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. When we harden our hearts against God and his truth, it is declared, just in case we weren't certain about it, it is sin. Sin itself to harden our hearts to God and his word. Verse 35. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Before I go on, I want to just touch base with the, the whole homosexuality, transgender thing for a moment. Most of the folks who end up pursuing that lifestyle, it comes out of hurt, comes out of pain, usually from the hands of other people. We need to have compassion for that and grace and mercy for that. We also need to help those folks understand that, ladies, if a man has, has hurt you horribly, that doesn't mean that your only choice is to become a lesbian. Your choice is to receive healing from the Lord, give forgiveness as the Lord helps you, and move on in the design of God for a healthy right marriage between a man and a woman. And a lot of kids are being trained up in this. It's a knee-jerk thing. That boy did me wrong. All men are such and such. I'm going to become a... That's happening a lot in our younger culture now in America. 
He'd be speaking truth into that and love them through that. Same stuff with, uh, with the, the men. Most of the men have had no dad or an abusive dad. They've had they've had issue with, with wanting and needing and desiring healthy father love and it hasn't been there. So instead of seeking homosexual relationship to fill that, we need to help them to come to the understanding of their hurt, bring the, the healing of a heavenly father who is perfect and wonderful, and keep that male-female design intact. That's God's truth foundation. That's what we need to help people come to in love and grace. God is working on Pharaoh's heart like crazy. And Pharaoh continues to harden and harden and harden and step away from God. And in this ninth chapter at the end, it's really clear. Pharaoh again chooses sin and hardens his heart further against God and his word. So what was God doing in relation with Pharaoh during all these plagues? Jeremiah 17. We're done with Exodus now. Jeremiah 17. And you probably figured I was going here, just briefly. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. What's, what's God doing for Pharaoh? What's God doing for anyone sitting here this morning? Like, I've got confusion on these issues. I've got, I've got a hard place in my heart, and I'm, I'm just not starting to wrestle with it. Where am I at? Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Don't do the Disney thing and just follow your heart. Don't follow your emotions. Follow truth. Because if you abandon truth and suppress it, you're going the wrong direction. You're hardening your heart. It's only going to bring wrath. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who could understand it? Verse 10 answers that. Who can understand the human heart? I, God speaks. God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man and woman according to their ways, according to the fruit of their deeds. So if you've got confusion in your life about sexual preference, about gender, about any other big questions in life, if you've got confusion in your heart about God, about Jesus, this is where you need to go. Say, Lord God Almighty, I need help. Search my heart. Test my mind. Help me, Lord God, to find, know, and stand on truth so I can be on a firm foundation that never moves. What are we seeing with the pace of change about thoughts and ideas of life in America today? It is wheeling out of control. Why? Because we don't have a solid foundation of truth. You can do whatever you want to then. That's where we're going. But the Lord has an answer. The Lord searches hearts. The Lord tests minds. God can help us with healing and come back to the truth. So where does that leave you and I today? About to receive Holy Communion, the body and blood of Christ. You're sitting here this morning maybe, and you've got a heart struggle going on. You're in the right place. Psalm 25, we're going to finish with. If anybody speaks into the condition of the heart um, more than King David, I don't know who it is in Scripture. It's one of the reasons we go to love the Psalms, because David pours out of his heart and asks God to minister to him. So Psalm 25, verse 16. 
as we uh, wrap this Pharaoh's heart. This is what he needed. This is what everybody needs. Verse 16, David writes here, Mighty God, turn to me. Be gracious to me. For I'm lonely and afflicted. Things are a mess. I feel all that. Was, was a king ever alone? He was always surrounded by people. That's not the point. I'm lonely and afflicted. I've got a terrible mess going on inside here. Verse 17, the troubles, say it with me, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. This is King David. He had some uh, really terrible times. Some, a lot more self-inflicted. He knows that his trouble is right in his heart. He says, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. They're getting out of control, it feels like. He says, Lord, bring me out of my distresses. How's God going to do that? He's going to bring forgiveness and his love. And he's going to bring his truth so he can get back on a solid footing. Verse 18, David says, God, consider my affliction and my trouble and say it with me, Forgive all my sins. Any area we've got a hardness of heart going on, there's sin happening there. And David just admitted, he said, God, my heart's all stirred up. It's enlarged with problems and difficulties and afflictions, and I'm so alone. God ministered that. And he knew that his own sin contributed to it. So he said, Father, I confess. I need your forgiveness. And I need a new ministry of your truth in my situation. We need that. Our nation needs that. And let's pray into it, shall we? Awesome God, I want to thank you for our hearts. It's part of your amazing, perfect design for us. We just admit to you, Lord, that as we're born into a fallen world, we wrestle with our hearts. Sometimes we, we struggle at a deep level like David talked about. God, we see Pharaoh hardening his heart over and over and over, and maybe we see ourselves in his sandals just going, I've been there, I've done that. Maybe we're, maybe we're at number five ourselves today. Maybe we're at number 10, we're realizing we're in deep, deep trouble. God, thank you for the gospel, the good news. David shares it here. I can share my messed up heart with God. This God searches hearts. This God can bring healing and clarity and truth to my heart. This God can heal and love me and make it right. So God, wherever our hearts are at this morning, bring them to you for spiritual CPR, whatever is needed, surgery, healing, our Lord Jesus, for your forgiveness, your grace and mercy, your love to our hearts. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how Romans 5, 5 says The Holy Spirit, for the power of God's love in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we heal in truth now, as only you can. Bless you, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
19, when she was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, gave it for all to eat, saying, and broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join me from your heart in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.